me tell you a fun story about cry night. Welcome to Confronting Christian Culture, a podcast where we address the issues found in old lessons and expectations. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Confronting Christian Culture. I'm joined today with Pastor Nick. Hi, Nick. Yo, glad to be here. All right. So, Nick, what are we looking at today? Well, today's... um... Conflict in Christian culture, uh, for me, uh, is the topic of prayer uh, and how we as Christians approach this uh, spiritual practice, this idea, what is prayer to us, what isn't it, Um, and it's something that I'm really interested in talking about with you because unlike maybe some of your other guests on this show who grew up with some maybe troublesome, problematic Christian culture. I grew up outside of Christian culture, uh, growing up more atheist, exploring Eastern traditions and modern contemporary paganism was way more my thing in like, you know, middle school and high school until I got involved with some of you nerds late in high school and then studied some more stuff later. But coming from that perspective and looking at Christianity from the outside in, I always assumed uh, that prayer for Christians uh, functioned effectively the same way spellcasting functioned for my Wiccan friends. And for a long time, you know, when I started studying Christianity more, hung out more, nothing seemed to suggest I was wrong about that assumption. Uh, There seemed to be this approach of really thinking you could put something out there with verbal cues or motions or, you know, different elements. I know, uh, literally, I'm waving a stick of incense around right now because I just like it. But like people use incense (laughs) in religious rituals and candles and all of that is as Christian as it is pagan. And it all seemed to be the idea that you could manifest your will into reality by asking God the right way or doing the right things. It really didn't seem that different from spellcasting to me. And so it wasn't until I really made it into seminary that I started to see that that maybe wasn't uh, the the more classical traditional approach to prayer in um, more ancient Christian traditions, per se. Um, And in fact, that in some ways, the approach to our faith as being in any way magical or outside the realm of sort of, I don't want to say normal reality, that sounds, that sounds strange, but um, going, it's not, we're not doing anything supernatural, right, Mm -hmm. beyond the natural world, really. And that idea was new. It it was a foreign concept, because it seemed like we were we were doing this spellcasting style thing, but that that could actually be problematic in our theology and make us way more uh, similar to the Gnostic heretics than to Orthodox Christianity. Um, and so I really had to struggle with this and go, okay, well, what is prayer? Do I even know how to pray? What What's the point? Um, and so I'd really, I'm really curious to hear you who grew up in the tradition more and who's also wrestled with this and struggled with this. Like, what do we think about this? Is does it ultimately, because I still struggle with this, does it ultimately break down to 
what is the verse? You know, ask and you shall receive for whoever knocks the door will be open. You know, yeah. God will give to you the things that you ask for and you will receive yeah. them and those sorts of things and those sorts of ideas. Um, and we could probably look up a nice list of scriptures uh, that maybe reinforce that idea. But I know that I've tended to in my services. You know, we lift up people in prayer who are sick or are struggling with different things. And the implication is sort of that we think that by lifting them up in prayer, they will suddenly become healed uh, because we've brought them before God in the proper way. As if God didn't somehow know they were sick or in need of these things in the first place. And it just does interesting things with theodicy, mm-hmm. um, how God interacts with suffering in the world. And, um, and I do those things because it's expected of me. But generally when I pray, like do the prayer, I err on the side of lifting up thanks to God rather than asking for things, but being thankful um, and asking more for personal reflection and guidance than I am for a manifestation of my will into the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because for me, that tends to be where I land now, but there's still scriptures that make me struggle with this. And so I don't know. I I don't know where we want to go with this today. Uh, What do you make of prayer? Is it more magical, supernatural? Is it more grounded in this sort of like post enlightenment idea of reality? Uh, How do we reconcile these things in our Mm -hmm. faith tradition? Uh, well, I can tell you, like my, for listeners, I grew up Christian. I grew up my family to my, some of my earliest memories are going to church. Very much grew up in the culture. And I remember every night uh, when we were really little, we would kneel at, my parents taught us to like kneel on b- beside our beds to pray. And then when we got a little older, we knelt, bes- we all like went to my parents' bedroom because there was a bunch of us. And we'd all pray together and we'd all listen to each other's prayers. That was how my parents kind of taught us the format of prayer, where we were thankful for things. We asked for some things that were like, we're supposed to ask for things that we actually wanted, but also things that like were towards the mindset of Christ. So we weren't supposed to ask for money. We weren't supposed to ask for ridiculous things even though i will say i remember my brother asking pretty much every night for a good couple years asking that a his school would just burn down during the night so he didn't have to go to school every single night he prayed that never did that happen but that was something he he hated school so he wanted that to happen (laughs) he didn't want anyone to get hurt he just wanted the school to be gone (laughs) you know it's it's weird because it's it feels maybe strange to think that that you could you would pray in that way with like a curse rather than a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. But I mean, there are prayers of cursing. And that particular prayer of your brother uh, is, I mean... I mean, there's there's obviously some nuance and difference here, but I'm just I think of Elijah immediately calling down the pillar of fire in, in scripture. And I'm just like, well, why not? I mean, if God allowed Elijah to be a firebender, then why not your brother? <laughs> and he let uh, Elisha be a bearbender, so you know, right? Yeah, <laughs> we that's how we kind of learned uh, up until like high school. I remember my family, my parents making us say prayers in the living room by by then we had graduated to the living room we could sit down on a couch and not have to 
do all the other ritual things for it, but we could just sit down, say our prayers, and then go to bed. Um, but that lasted up until like high, until like all of us were in high school. For for me, our the lesson on prayer was always you should do it every night before you go to bed, but you should always be praying, which made no sense to me. The way I've seen it now it, uh, is more it is more of a, just a conversation between you and God. It is letting God know how your day was, what you're thankful for, and actually like reflecting on your day. Um, so I would say like for my prayers nowadays, most of my prayers now are either being focusing on, especially if I'm having a really terrible day, I often pray more because it helps me focus on like, what is good in my life? What is good right now? Like we are in a pandemic. So what can I pray for? Well, I can be thankful for the fact that my wife and I are not sick. We can be thankful that many people we know are not sick. You know, we, 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 the list goes on of what we can be thankful for. But then even if you read the Lord's Prayer, it does talk about like, Lord, give us uh, this day our daily bread. You're, you're asking for a blessing for your day, but you're also, you know, being thankful for that bread, but you're also like kind of asking for the next day. You're still asking for stuff, but it's not under this I demand. It's more, please, like we, we trust that you can do this. So please help us. But again, like their prayer would not be for a bigger house. Their prayer isn't for the fattened calf. Their prayer is for daily bread. It's, it's for the necessities that they need not just stuff they want. That's, that's kind of what I grew up knowing. Uh, nowadays, I would mostly describe, I wouldn't describe prayer as spell casting, but that is a very interesting description you had, like your, your kind of how you looked at it originally. But nowadays, I would I'd definitely say prayer is more just uh, an honest conversation with God, which can include screaming at him. Because God is big enough for your screams. He isn't scared of you. Yeah, there are prayers and there are uh, of lament um, as well and crying out. And that's certainly been my more authentic encounter and experience with prayer is mm -hmm. prayers of lament. I remember in seminary going out into the parking lot of where I lived and just screaming at the sky at like two in the morning, like full on. Um, and that's some of the most meaningful moments of prayer with God for me. But, but it isn't the common sort of um, uh, pop Christianity approach to prayer, right? So, because like, so we grew up being a part of a particular youth ministry organization and later in high school. And I mean, I was still an atheist in that time and was treating it more as a case study than anything. But what I observed and what I've continued to observe is that um, there's buzz phrases, of course, like if you ask for things in the name of Jesus, there's power, right? We talk about power in the name of Jesus mm -hmm. and these things. There's songs that say that over and over again to try to really drive that home, right? I just remember all that language surrounding that. And the thing that I would find, I guess I don't... I don't hate the idea of, I mean, I ask God for stuff, especially in ministry, especially for my people. I maybe don't ask for stuff on behalf of myself very often, but I'm, I'm feel fine, at, you know, going to God in prayer and saying, so-and-so is having surgery today at this time. Please guide the hands of the doctors and the nurses. Please give this person comfort and peace as they're going through this. And I have no issue doing that. Do I 
think that doing that actually had the physical effect. I'm not always sure, um, but I always feel like, well, what does it hurt to ask? But the, the language surrounding prayer in this sort of power kind of way comes down to a lot of the harmful language that comes out in faith healing traditions, because it's, it's really borrowing from that. And so the idea then would be, but if then that person dies on the surgery table, right, maybe they or I or whoever was praying just wasn't faithful enough, right? And, and so then it becomes somehow our fault for our lack of belief that uh, maybe not even death, but just suffering occurs in this way because we didn't ask God with enough faith. And I think that even if you think God answers prayers, you have to find a line because I find that incredibly destructive. And I know uh, plenty of people who have been chased out of the church and away from God in tears from, you know, lines like that, uh, that obviously you weren't faithful enough. Obviously you didn't love God enough or God didn't love you enough to stop this bad thing from happening. And, and isn't this ultimately, and you see where now I'm ranting, but isn't this ultimately part of the critique that is the book of Job, right? The, all the horrible things are happening to Job. And one of his friends who comes to quote unquote comfort him talks and, and tries to get him to admit what he did to deserve all this because clearly he deserved all of the trouble uh otherwise it wouldn't have fallen upon him because god is somehow our magical force that if we're good does good things for us and i and this is why i struggle with it right because there's some kind of fine line we have to walk here between these two ideas and i have to say I've only been a Christian for, I think, 10 years now, and I'm still super struggle to figure out where that line is, or even if we need to toe the line. I There are days where I'm like, we just need to abandon the magic language completely, because I just don't know if it's possible to use that language and not eventually come to those negative conclusions. So then is it even worth keeping around? I don't know. I mean, I mean, we could see in the Bible there are times when, like, and and part of this, and part of this issue, I think, is how we've read the Bible, because many people will read the Bible and and we see, like in Exodus, um, God is ready to destroy Israel. Moses says, "Nah, don't do it. Like, it's gonna make you look bad." Like. What, do, what will the Egyptians say? They'll be like, oh, the Egyptians will say bad things. Like, it's bad for your reputation. And God's like, okay, fine. Like, that's what happens. It, God changes his mind on the destruction of the, Israelite, of the Hebrew people at that time because Moses poses the argument of his reputation. Like, it's weird. Uh, we see that also in, in Jonah. Like, God, God is ready to destroy Nineveh. And the people, and and Jonah knows, like, if I go and do what you're calling me to do, they're going to repent and you're going to change your mind. And so Jonah actually goes against God during this entire time. Uh, and it proves to be accurate. God does change his mind because of how people react. So, how, like, your your question of, like, yeah, our, spe our, our spell casting prayer 
of like, if you pray hard enough, God will have to relent. God will have to change his mind. But this is all like ridiculousness. Like I, I can tell you, like this is this is foolhardy for us to think that we can change God's mind on things. Um, and I, I'd have to say it goes back to how we've read those passages and others like it. Um, but I think you're right, Nick. I think we do need to kind of get rid of our mystical terminology when we're referring to prayer because it it has not helped us. It has not really helped us uh, in the long run. It, it helps explain things short term, but it poses, brings up more questions. Uh, for listeners who don't know, I had my nephew pass away a couple of years now, and he was two years old. I know like that was not, you know, that's not something God wants to happen. But if somebody were to come up to me and say, did you pray hard enough? Like, you know, if God, if I had prayed hard enough, like God wouldn't have killed my nephew, that would have been, man, that would, if I was not already solid in the faith, that would have driven me straight out. And and I know people who had been told things like that in situations very similar to yours. And this is what I mean. Like, and you know, I love you and, and what happened was tragic. Um, And I don't believe that God ever wishes or causes death on people. I I mean, this is almost a whole nother conversation that's separate, but um, (laughs) if, if death is ultimately the enemy that is pulling us away is the power that pulls us away and separates us from God, then, then it would be anti-God to separate from us intentionally in that way. It is us driving separation ultimately with things. And it's the world is, uh, heartless and, uh, bitter and cold place sometimes. Um, and we almost have to have a larger conversation about how God, how we believe God interacts with suffering in this way, which is that theodicy word I brought up earlier, you know, mm-hmm. and um, for some Christians, they're very comfortable with the God who is the arbiter of suffering and, and terrible things. And there's plenty of texts in um, what we would call the Old Testament to uh, maybe support some of that. Um, and there's also texts that we can find in both the Old and New Testament that would work against that. Uh, the Bible doesn't speak in one voice. I think people forget that a lot. Um, and so, of course, we could throw scripture around and, and justify either of these things, but I think your point is for us to reflect and say, but where where are we falling on this? And I just don't, I couldn't possibly worship a God uh, who would kill a two-year-old child uh, and bring such devastation upon their family uh, in that way. And I just couldn't. Um, And some people would be very comfortable saying, well, of course, it's because you're completely broken and fallen and you don't maybe see, you don't see the big picture or whatever. But I just, I think your sense of ethic and morality has to be so eroded to actually 
be subject to that ideology. And maybe I'm being as harsh as them in that, but that's, that's where I would be on that. And if I'm going to hold to that, if I'm going to believe that, then it makes it very difficult to look at the idea of prayer and think very hard about how God moves to our will in some cases and not others because of how or when or why we asked him to do it. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that makes this all incredibly difficult because I don't want to say prayer is bad, you know, cause I don't think prayer is bad, but I, I, I would view it more the way you articulated earlier. This is a, a means of relationship with the creator of the universe. Um, if we, of course, we're going to ask God for things that would be natural, you know, um, yeah. it would be natural for us to, to, if we believed in um, this ground of all being this source from which all things flow, it would be natural to, to lift up our desires to that. But to suggest and make a theological claim that that manifests then as God answering our demands or, or following our will instead of God's own will. Um, I think we run into a lot of problems uh, and it could just be that um, the Western understanding of prayer is so corrupted by a lot of these things that it just seems like we're rejecting prayer outright when we reject some of these premises. Um, I think there is a, you know, the positive side of saying God answers your prayers is that it it encourages a uh, capitalistic society who wants things for themselves to actually communicate with God, right? that's problematic because then we're literally only communicating with God to get things for ourselves. Even if we're praying for other people, by the way, because ultimately we, yes, not, not to underplay it too much. We do care about other people and we do want them to be well, but by and large, we also just don't want to go through the grief of loss. We also just don't want to suffer with that person in their suffering. Um, and there's always some piece of us that is thinking of ourselves in asking for these things. Maybe that's overly cynical, but I'm a pretty overly cynical guy about humanity. <laughs> so um, that's where I come from with that. But, you know, we need something to encourage us to speak to God and have a relationship with God. And maybe, maybe it's the most functional strategy in a capitalistic society. I just wonder if it ultimately leads us astray in a way and towards uh, a false god, an idol that isn't Mm. real rather than the real actual uh, ground of all being that flows forth. Um, So I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely difficult to, to figure out the difference between some of these ideas for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of it does come down to one's heart, how they're approaching these ideas as well. Like when you're talking about if we're just going, if we're focused on the reward of like God answers your prayers, well, if you, then you have to pray if you want those answered. Uh, Essentially he's becoming Santa. Like that's all it is. He's just becoming Santa Claus. But I feel like something that we often all, that that statement, God answers prayers that like, I, I know I've heard, I know I heard this numerous time in church. 
I don't know if like if if you've ever heard this, but like it's a uh, yes, God answers prayers, and He answers them sometimes as yes, no, maybe later. I mean, I've not heard that exactly in that way, but I've heard things like, and you see things go around Facebook like, well, sometimes God answers no, or oh, oh, there's a really great one that's like a, a meme, right? And it's the picture of. Uh, Jesus taking a little girl's ratty teddy bear away and she's like but I but I don't want to give it up and like behind his back he's got this giant beautiful new teddy bear and the implication is he's gonna give her something better right than than what she had and I just I every time I see it I laugh and I shake my head because I just that that is so prosperity gospel silliness yes but that's the kind of ethic that runs behind what you're you're pointing Mm -hmm. out right is Mm -hmm. um the idea that well sometimes god's no is because there's a bigger picture and god wants something better for you but how does that play when a two-year-old just died yeah you know yeah suddenly it falls apart and everybody knows it for the most part has enough tact to realize that that's not the best thing to talk about in that way at a funeral for a child. But the sad thing is that doesn't mean they don't believe it or aren't thinking it in their heads. Yeah. They just know it would be inappropriate to say out loud. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like we, we often like what you spoke about earlier, we often get confused also with this concept of God having a plan for everything, meaning that he wants all this stuff to happen. Like, I I feel like we've, we've lost sight. We've, Honestly, we neuter God when we do that. We, we make him so much weaker that he has to let evil things happen so good things can happen. And, and it, it neuters God, and it also really is a spit in the face to the freedom that he's given us for action. He's given us the actions to do evil and good. So by just saying, well, it's part of God's, God's plan means that, like, well, then we actually have no real free will we have no free agency in this entire world. So it doesn't matter. That goes all with that whole bigger plan concept, but going back to like prayer, how do we reconcile this idea of God having a bigger plan or not having a, or maybe not having a bigger plan, but how do we reconcile that with talking to him or getting rid of, of this mystical ritual that we do to make prayer happen? I I know when I prayed at church many times, I would just kind of ignore the fact that I was up in front of people and just focus on being like, God, let's, uh, we need, I need to talk to you for in on behalf of the people in front of me, but I need to talk to you too. I got some comments, people loving that people feeling like I was like, not just putting on a show, but actually praying. And then I had some people who did not like that. They felt like I was ignoring them, that I just, I hadn't listed every single person on the bulletin, which to be honest was like 30 people. And it's the same people every week. <laughs> like, I'm like, well, God knows them. Like, I, I also add like, you know, a kind of overarching theme at the end, but it, it didn't matter. Like th- the fact that I didn't say their name meant I didn't pray for them on Sunday, which was like the worst yeah. sin. I, I established a precedent from like moment one that I wasn't going to pray for people up there by name. I, we speak out loud, you know, mm-hmm. we do the, what, who should we pray for today? And people would lift up names and circumstances, which you have to be careful with because it mm-hmm. can quickly become gossip hour. Yeah. Um, 
but my people did a generally good job. I, I tried to be clear with people that like, if you're, if they're not here with you or whatever, or even if they are like, make sure they're okay with you publicly talking about what's going on with them before you lift them up before the church. But if, if they're okay with it or they're, if they ask the church specifically for prayers, that happens a lot out here. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's totally fine. Lift them up. Right. And then I do kind of a general prayer uh, for people struggling in every possible way, you know, and I mean, it looks very scripted because I say a very similar thing every week. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not scripted, but it's very similar every week. And we end with the Lord's prayer altogether. And that's nice and it's fine. It is sort of a production, you know. Um, it's it's impossible for it not to be. Yeah. Even even in your methodology, the way you would do it, it's still a kind of production, right? Because even if you try to remove yourself as much as you can, you still have an audience that is is not just God, yeah. right? You still have a congregation who's observing and going to have opinions and tell you their opinions on it <laughs> yes. afterwards. And it's impossible for that not to affect you yeah. um, as a pastor or as anybody who gets up in front of a group of people and prays. Um, and we, and we hate doing it. Like, I, I don't know about you. I hate doing it. And my people hate doing it when I'm in small group. I try to open my small groups with like, would somebody please pray for us to open? And I do it to close too. And Perfect. I will just, I will sit there in silence as long as I need to. And everybody feels so awkward until somebody finally breaks and prays for us. Cause then I've made it clear. I'm like, listen, I'm not here to be the professional Christian for you. You are going to learn to pray for yourselves. You're going mm -hmm. to, to learn to do these things on your own. So that when I'm gone from here, you are comfortable in your discipleship to do these things. But here's the thing. I don't really blame them because praying out loud in front of people sucks the worst. And I think it's because we, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why I think that's true. A th good theological reason is because we really hold tight to Jesus telling us to pray in secret and we feel that deep inside of ourselves that we don't want to be the hypocrites putting on a show who love to be seen praying in the synagogue and in the public square. Yeah. Um, you know, that verse. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel that I really do because I'm not interested in being seen as the most pious person. Yeah. Um, I never have been in my whole life and I really don't need to start now, but there are people who are desperate for that. There really are. Mm. Uh, they need the validation that they are a righteous person. But I, I like the idea of praying in secret, and, but we're also afraid of showing that intimacy because prayer, if we're going to approach it more authentically and not just as a Christmas list for Santa Claus, but if we're really going to, you know, pray for guidance legitimately, that means some part of us is, whether we're saying it out loud or not, we're acknowledging faults, right? Yeah. Obviously, I'm lacking in this area if I'm asking for more help in it. As vulnerable, that is a show of vulnerability, even if it isn't uh, directly saying uh, you don't have to, to pray and say, God, I struggle with compassion. Make me more compassionate this week. You could just say, Lord, make us more compassionate. And the rest of it is implied. Yeah. Right. Yep. Uh, 
and people sense that vulnerability in that and it's who nobody wants to get vulnerable like that in front of a bunch of other people even if they would feel more comfortable speaking to god then that's that's still weird in front of other people and if that is and to me it is a more authentic expression of prayer then personally i would cut all of the out loud prayer i would cut it i would mm-hmm. cut it completely with exception of maybe children's ministry because we've got to learn somehow or even like doing discipleship things talking about prayer you could do workshops you could do things like that you can study the idea of prayer um because we have to learn about it but doing it in those ritual spaces just sort of sort of turn it into to performance and i don't know i i think i would be comfortable with cutting it in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways and i think a lot of my spiritual mentors <laughs> Uh, would be very upset with me for saying that. <laughs> I remember, <laughs> I, re- I remember um, the one of the hardest moments in my intern work in seminary was when I was in my second internship, and I will not put the pastor on blast by name here, but <laughs> he, great guy, really taught me a ton. Uh, about ministry that I really needed to to learn. One of his practices, Mm -hmm. his general practices was that he had a full membership list and he prayed through 10 people a day uh, out loud in the sanctuary. He'd set time aside every day. And that sounds awesome. Like that, wow, what a great mindful practice to be thinking about everybody in your congregation on a regular basis, to remember to remember them in light of your spiritual connection with them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe that reminds you to reach out to them that week or whatever, whatever it is. So good. And uh, he brought me in to do this with him. And I was so awkwardly bad at it. So, so bad at it. Cause I didn't know (laughs) these people. These were just names on a list. So I was like, what do I say about them? He's like, I don't know, say something, uh, about, lift them up to God for whatever you, you do know about them. Or if you don't, just say, you know, hey, God, I don't know a lot about them, but be with them, yada, yada. And it was like, but I'm 10 times in a row saying the same thing. Ah, uh, for this person, I don't know them, uh, but I hope they have a good week. And I would just freeze up and I would be so awkward and and... He never laughed at me, which I appreciate, but he could have easily laughed at me because I would have laughed at me. Uh, It was pathetically bad. But yeah, like that sort of thing could be a good practice if that's the kind of person you are. If that's that's a practice that is good for you in mindfulness, then that's good. Mm -hmm. But it's good in the way, in my opinion, that um, as I grew up more, like I said, in Eastern traditions than I did in Christianity. So to me, it's good more in the way that like a good meditative mantra is good. You have a phrase that you say Mm -hmm. over and over again that your mind can focus on to cut everything else out. So you can be focused on that until eventually you can cut that even out of your mind and you can sit in emptiness, right? Uh, This is basic meditation stuff. And this is what a mantra does and is good for and I think this kind of, that kind of repetitive prayer, that kind of mindful, regular practice 
is good in that same way. It can create greater mindfulness. Mm -hmm. It can create more of a connection between you and the person you're praying for, you and God in a certain way. I do not think it becomes a magic spell <laughs> where no. I have now um, healed that person's problems by praying for them that week on behalf of them. I just can't buy it. Um, and I also just suck at it. So that's also my bias again. Uh, but, but I, I just, I really just continue to struggle with that. And, I'll, and there's not just him, but a lot of my spiritual mentors mm -hmm. really are big on prayer. Uh, and some of them believe very strongly in that, in the name of Jesus kind of language. Um, mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't mean to get on here and try to make everybody feel like crap, um, about it. But, you know, I, I just I just come to say that I really struggle with it. And I really just don't know if it works that way. I'm, I'm yeah. Um, and I'm sorry. No, no, no. You are fine. You are absolutely fine. This is like you brought up a great many things to talk. Like the, the difference between corporate and personal prayer is huge. Corporate prayer, uh, even prayer like for over a fam over your own family like i can tell you my experience like because every so often my family before the pandemic like every month we would get together and have a we'd have picnic or pizza or something and years ago when i started looking into christian ministries as like an actual career and like looking into being a pastor my father started making the joke that every time i came around i'd be doing the prayer I, and I also hated that because I was like, I, I don't want to, <laughs> like, I, I pray all the other times, like I pray for myself. I pray. I don't want to have to pray every time I come here. Um, and luckily one, one pizza night or something, they invited their pastor over and my dad made the joke being like, Oh, well, it's time to pray. Well, pastor Jory, uh, and I can tell uh, this, this man was, his name is Mike. He, he, pastor Mike looked at my father and said, well, actually the head of the house should pray and just stared at my father. And my father went, Oh, oh well, let's pray. And like he, he, to my dad's credit, he started like, since then he's pretty much the one who prays uh, when we gather as a family. So I'm like, yeah, that is that was a great lesson for him to learn and for me to really be able to watch because it made me not absolutely hate going to my parents. It, it like it it made me not like dread going to these pizza nights being like I'm going to have to stand there and pray and I know my my views on things are very different so from the rest of my family so they're not going to like what I'm praying about. That, that's an <laughs> amazing so, story. Uh uh let me let me uh allow mm -hmm. me <laughs> to reflect on that for a minute and see if i can put our finger on the pulse of why that makes us so uncomfortable because i have the exact same situation right um now okay. i have a pretty much less religious family than you do uh though they're starting to shift a little bit right um becoming a pastor kind of kick-started my family into being like, well, maybe we need to pay more attention to religion and stuff like that. 
right? Um, and a lot of that came from the fact that I would get so pissed, but I would, I would end up being so upset when I had to like pray or do any of these things. My mom really likes to make me, uh, play my guitar and sing hymns, you know, for like my grandfather. And, you know, I love my great grandfather and he's passed now and, uh, we miss him greatly. And I, I really didn't mind playing hymns for it, for him. It was just the expectation that I would, and I have to do it would work me. Mm. And uh, I had a conversation with my mother at one point where I explained to her why I'm always such a hesitant little bitch about it. <laughs> when she like asked me <laughs> things. Like, why are you fighting me? Just do the thing. And I'm like, I, and, and I said, well, mom, remember, my family's very supportive. Of me. I love them. They're so supportive that it almost becomes a problem sometimes. Uh, which sounds ridiculous and uh, spoiled as all get out, but, but hear me out. You know, back in high school, we did like musical productions or chorus concerts or whatever I was involved with. And my family, not just my mom and my dad, but my aunt and my uncle and my cousins mm -hmm. would like show up to support me and all those things. And when my cousins made it to like middle school and high school, we did the same for them. That's what we did. Um, and we'd go and we'd cheer and after like the musical or the concerts in particular like there's that time where you walk out afterwards and everybody hugs you and sometimes there's flowers and oh it's so good to watch you perform even though i had a shitty one line in like the whole show <laughs> but they would they'd support me and that's great the problem is yeah. now i'm doing something that i consider incredibly serious that i don't enjoy uh viewing as performative because i and ethan and i our friend ethan and i kind of disagree on this point he really likes some of the performative element of our job i despise it i hate performing i want to be very authentic and real with people all the time 100 percent. not that ethan's not authentic and real he just understands and is fine with a certain level of performance in that i'm not um and so when my family demands or asks enthusiastically and without relenting that I pray over a meal or I sing some hymns or I do any of this stuff or even early on when they would even come to my worship services. Um, I, I'd get upset because they, I, I knew they weren't there for God. I knew they weren't there for that peace. I knew that all of that was about me in another performance, right? Mm -hmm. And that, that weighed on me in, in ministry. Um, and maybe it's the same for you, maybe it isn't, but the idea, because it, it, it enforced this idea that to them, they weren't taking this seriously. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's a lack yeah. of seriousness to that. Even if yeah. it's very supportive, if there's a lack of sincerity in that. And I yeah. explained that to my mother at one point. And so she did find a church. She started going to a church that wasn't my church where I wasn't preaching. And she engaged <laughs> with pastors that weren't me and started doing some small group stuff. And of course, COVID came around and that kind of screwed up everything. And she's been away for a little bit, but um since she started doing that, and my cousins have a little bit as well, oh my gosh, so much better. 
for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't mind doing prayers for stuff when, when we really want to. We don't pray before every meal because my family doesn't care about that. They really don't. Yeah. Not unless my great-grandfather was around, then they cared, you know, but they didn't care. And so they don't really force me to do that anymore. And when they come to my worship services, I, I find more sincerity in what they're doing. And none of this has a lot to do with our topic of prayer uh, other than us being forced into it. But I wonder if it's that same sense for you that you're bringing up with like your family, that it's, it's not that we hate praying or doing some of this pious stuff necessarily, but that we're afraid our families or our friends view it as, and now Jory or now Nick will do his cute little thing that he does. Uh, and we'll all giggle and applaud that he did this this cute little thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, I can see that. For me, honestly, it was more like none of us like, I, I, when we were kids, we uh, we prayed before every meal. So especially dinner. So when we'd sit down to dinner, it, we went in a circle of who prayed. Like, so everybody had a time that they would pray. Um, we learned certain we learned certain songs based on we we learned certain prayers based on like theme song music like uh superman the, the old superman theme song that's what i was going to say yeah uh the the brady bunch uh we learned based off of the monsters can I, just, uh, can I just interrupt and say something about this yeah. real quick cuz this yeah. is a phenomenon i knew nothing about and <laughs> uh it it really is i knew nothing about this and then uh when I got into ministry, I worked for the YMCA for a long time, but that's a secular camp. And so they picked me up to start doing church camp stuff. And when I started going to church camp, they, they made the kids pray these, these exact prayers that you're saying right now. Um, Superman always comes to mind for me. There was the thank you, God, God for this good day, <laughs> whatever it God, is. Showing the way. <laughs> And, and there you get slightly different lyrics than what yep. we did and it doesn't matter but it's all the same basic idea and can yep. i just say like i found it so incredibly endearing <laughs> because for the most part those the words of those prayers and the way the kids in that setting engaged with those prayers even in kind of like a silly playful way was way more sincere than any kind of praying that I've seen in standard worship services and things yeah. like that. Um, and nobody in those prayers is really asking for anything beyond just like the food they're eating and, the food and they're eating. That, that day's blessing. Like that's all they're doing. Yeah. Like, and that's it. And I'm like, that's so perfect. <laughs> like, and I kind of wish that regular church was we just did those prayers instead like suddenly everybody sang the johnny appleseed prayer <laughs> and like that's what we did and i would i would absolutely be for that if that was what we made prayer i'd be into but everybody has to get up and be a wackadoo about it with like the hands mm -hmm. and everything because it's just so good oh yeah uh, anyway <laughs> i know i wonder I, I wonder for that like we we've put like Te like just thinking of it like for for church camp when we're teaching kids to to pray before every meal we're doing it in this fun engaging way that theologically like yeah the words that we have for these prayers are good they are they're solid um 
But then the moment you get out of church camp, the moment you graduate from high school, well, get ready for some quiet time and to listen to monotone prayer. Because that's what prayer is. All the stuff you learned, hopefully you didn't take that to heart because we all want you to learn it this way now. And it just, it, I feel like as people get older, we've gone from like, church camp prayers of of oh this is a great time where we can really we can we can pray to theme songs this is awesome and and all of a sudden now it's boring all of a sudden it's 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 monotone it's i have to sit at i have to sit in the pew while the pastor prays or the the worship leader prays i have to have my head bent down and it becomes so much more solemn and quiet and we've lost so much of the the life that prayer is for maybe that's people. It. Maybe it's just that prayer underlines a larger problem, which is that church is not silly enough. And there's so much, and maybe this is just be, anybody who listens to this podcast who grew up with me and Jory or knows me and Jory yeah. is not going to find this next statement shocking by <laughs> any means. Um, but I find so much more sincerity in silliness uh, than all of this false seriousness uh, yeah. that we've created. The church takes itself way too seriously. And the greatest moments of engagement I've had in ministry, in prayer or otherwise, are when I just get silly. Yeah. Uh, we all, I did, I remember early on, we did like a, a month, like in October, where we, we dressed in different, I challenged the congregation to come dressed as different Disney characters every single week to worship. <laughs> and every and every week's sermon was based around a particular Disney movie that I picked. Uh, which, if you're not careful, that moves into idolatry quickly, so you got to toe a line there. But, but if you can do it well, <laughs> and you can just have fun and silliness, they were so much more engaged. Everybody was dressed like a fool. Uh, and it was all of us together doing that. And it was... So much more real, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. in, in that moment. Because humanity is silly. We are this messy, silly group of people, you know. We weren't the, the stereotypical church that the family shows up to church screaming at each other in the car because they're a little bit late and Johnny had a hard time putting on his overalls and getting his hair done, right? We're screaming and screaming until we open the doors and we walk to the church and we all put on our smiles and go, hello, everything's wonderful and fine. Like, no, when we can stop pretending about some of that crap, everything gets a little bit more sincere, including mm -hmm. prayer. Yeah. Uh, and, and so maybe that's it. Maybe ultimately my main problems with prayer is just the lack of sincerity in prayer um, and the only time people get really serious about prayer is when they're doing it for faith healing. And I just don't buy the faith healing. Yeah. Uh, and, and so maybe that's it. Maybe that's my whole issue. There was one time we were with this house church and they were very much focused on the, the spirit guiding you through conversation or guiding you through prayer and, and having a prayer language. Um, and one time the, the, the pastor there, we, we were at like this, this dinner, this, like, this like potluck kind of hangout time with the entire house church with all the different groups that kind of came together. Um, and we were invited. We had just started kind of coming. We were pretty new and they were gonna like the, the pastor wanted to bless this couple that, you know, we had, we've never met before 
uh and we're like cool that's that's fine so he like had a bunch of people come and like circle around them and pray for them and then he looks over at annie and says annie what what's what is your your what's the spirit telling you the word is for that this couple annie is just staring at these people we've never met and we're like we don't have one <laughs> like like there's nothing that we are going to say at this moment because we're not feeling the spirit move us to to tell this couple anything um and so annie's just like i don't i don't have the spirit's not moving in me at the moment to to, to speak to them uh which should have been fine that should have been a good that is a good answer to that is a fine answer to do she uh was then countered by the senior by the pastor and said well if the spirit had you say a word to them what would it be and his reasoning is many people don't want to speak when the spirit's moving them because they're too afraid but if you pose things like that they'll actually tell you i'm like no it doesn't make sense that's not the spirit then <laughs> no that's you that's you bullying and manipulating that is nothing yeah. Spirit of God. Oh, and that's so that's the other piece. You you do have to keep this in because this is very much about prayer. Yeah. Prayer gets used very much to bully people into things in the church. Mm-hmm. Um for that that thing, the movement of the oh, I feel the spirit moving you. Um, no, you don't. Shut up. Um I just I don't believe in the Star Wars universe, the force. I don't, I don't think that's what's happening here. I, uh, I think the Holy Spirit can guide us, sure, but what you're, it's just such an abuse mm-hmm. of pastoral power to try to get somebody to talk or engage in this way, or the, to get them to come up and call them up to give their life to Jesus in this moment. Uh, while everybody's praying, it's usually like some song is happening or they're praying mm-hmm. and they say, somebody in this room is being called to come kneel at the altar and give their life to Jesus. It is a, it is a very, it is an old style that is, uh, that, that honestly, I, I don't see it nearly as much as I used to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, there were some pastors, like I saw it every single week and it was always the last song they had to sing. And it was on the third uh verse when the third verse hits the the pastor be like come on up for the time for an altar call the elders are here to pray for you and i remember going up there when i was a kid and it was always a very high emotion time like that's the idea is you're getting people at high emotions uh i don't know if you have this at church camp but the the church camp i went to we call it cry night uh thursday night is cry night because they're going to talk about how jesus died for you and how uh, you know how wretched we we are and how we need his forgiveness and it so brings let me tell you let me tell you a fun story about cry night uh <laughs> at church camp that makes me look super good and so that's why i like telling you. <laughs> <Okay>. uh, <laughs> 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 but uh so we had this thing we had this phenomenon at church camp when i got there my first two years mm-hmm. i was working at church camp we did this it's like you said, it's the last night of church camp. I'm working with elementary and middle school kids, right? Yeah. And we, every night we have like a, a, an evening worship session, just fine. I'm all about it. Let's get together and sing. I think that's cool. Uh, but the last night would always have 
the three things happen that were different from from the other nights. Mm-hmm. One is communion, and I have no problem with us having communion. Yeah. Right, totally cool with that. Uh, we'd have communion. Uh, one of the counselors would give a testimony, which is something we didn't really do before. Now, mm-hmm. usually at worship services, one of the counselors will. A lot of us are pastors, so usually somebody will come up and do a sermon of some kind, like a small message, but this is specifically supposed to be a testimony, and the more you can make them cry, the better, right? Uh, The more your story is gut-wrenching and can get them into an emotional place, Mm -hmm. the more likely you are to be asked to give your testimony, uh, and as soon as the testimony's over, somebody plays some nice soft music in the background and they invite, they do the altar call thing and they try to have the kids come up and give their life to Jesus. Um, and for the first two years I was there, that happened. And after camp was over, we always had a counselor meeting to reflect on the week. And both years, all of us said, can we stop the cry night? Like, we just don't think this is healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't think this is a good way to begin a Christian life is to be manipulated into a moment of giving your life to Christ, because then you have a lot of the same kids coming up every single year. Yep. Uh, and that's okay. Like, it's okay to have vulnerable moments with the kids and have good conversations and stuff. But like, this is, you know, the giving yourself at the altar is like a whole different theology on that. Um, So what I suggested for the third year I was there was I was going to give my testimony about how I became a Christian, which if I told it right, I suppose could be emotional, but there's no like, there's no like devastating moment really in my story. Right. I mean, it's an interesting story. I think I have an interesting path into Christianity, but it's not a, a terribly emotional, gut-wrenching story, but that's okay. And then I suggested, instead of having an altar call, would you let me invite the kids up to give their testimonies or just talk about where they are right now? And we would just skip the altar call part altogether. And they said, sure, that's fine. So we were up. If you've ever been to Camp Green Hills, that's where the impact festival always is. Uh, uh, That's where I did church camp. So imagine us in the barn area, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm like up on the stage and I'm sitting on the stage and they're all sitting in the chairs out in the barn and we've done communion. We've done singing and praise. I've done my testimony and I say, you know, normally we do a different thing tonight, but I really want to try something new. Uh, I know a lot of you, have had some experiences and encounters with God this week or even just in this past year. Um, And I just think it would be really cool for all of you and for us counselors, for us to just hear what you are, where you are right now. I was like, even if you're not in a good place and you just want to share where you are in your faith with, with God right now, this is a moment for you to come up and share with everybody. And we're all going to love you no matter where you're at. And so a couple kids came up and they shared some of where they were. You know, they're, they're elementary, middle school kids. So some of them are, are pretty simple. And some of them get really heavy. A couple of the kids talked about 
trying to commit suicide in the past year and um or thinking about committing mm-hmm. suicide in the past year uh a lot of them were talking about boy or girl troubles and how that was affecting them but they just got up they said their little bit where where they are a lot of them were like and through all of this stuff i feel very close to god uh right in this moment or i have throughout this year whatever and some of them said i don't really know if i believe in god right now and after everybody came up we clapped for them everybody got applause no matter what and uh i'm just inviting the next person up the next person up we ended up being there until like midnight because every single kid got up to give a testimony and it's happening and i'm not terribly surprised because my methodology with church camp is every single night i have a big campfire and anybody who wants to stay up with me to talk about deep theological things if they're so minded can stay up and talk to me so i've already known a good bit of the things the kids are sharing Mm -hmm. but a lot of the other counselors didn't and they've never done this with the kids before so i'm looking over at the other counselors and the people running the camp and there's just like tears streaming down their face (laughs) And they're just like, oh my God, what is happening? And I got to talk to them afterwards and, I, and they're like, I had no idea. I had no idea these kids went through these things. I had no idea these kids were thinking these things. I'm like, yeah, because you, you never asked them. You've never asked them before. Instead, you told them your story and you manipulated them to come up and quietly to themselves, give their life over to Christ, and then go back to their cabin and fall asleep. Uh, you've never really invited them to share before. And so it ended up being this really incredible night, this incredible moment. And uh, I'm pretty proud of that one. It's a model I'll carry with me in any camp that I go into. I stand yeah. by it. Let the kids give their testimony. Don't make it about the counselors. Um, and you know you'll learn an awful lot about kids this just became a podcast about youth ministry hi welcome to <laughs> Nick talk about church camp and youth ministry um no but it's i think it applies to prayer because we sometimes use prayer in these sorts of settings even if it's that prayer of i i forget what they call it the, a prayer of absolution is that what they say when they so. call them to the altar the so, sinner's yeah. prayer the sinner's yeah. prayer they have mm-hmm. they use they use this model they use this thing called the sinner's prayer as a as a way to ultimately feel like they can and by they i mean all of us in in leadership uh we it happens so that we can check a box that we've here's our tally of how many souls we saved this week uh rather than authentically engaging uh, with our people, yeah. whether it's youth or adults. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I started at the church I was at, there was, they kind of gave me like, this is how the, the, the previous youth pastor, or this is how the previous senior pastor, like marked their time to make sure that they were like, and, and one of it was like people converted. And I was like, uh, there was no part where it was like conversations had. So I was like, I like removed that completely. Cause I was like, the, the goal is not to, to get people from one church to come to my church. That's not the goal, which is mostly what happens anyways. It's really to, to connect with people where they're at 
and and show them like where Christ is and how they can where they're at connect with Christ. And and I love what you're I like you guys made like a reverse cry night where instead of all the kids are crying, all the counselors are crying. I love that. Oh yeah, it was fascinating. It was one of the more and I was like, let's just try something. Will you let me try something? And we just threw it's one of those like we just throw stuff at the wall and see what sticks and it ended up working really well. Um but yeah, it's uh, my point is that we can use these spiritual pious tactics that involve prayer mm-hmm. to silence people rather than to empower them ultimately. Yeah. And I think that that plays into the inauthenticity of prayer that we've created. It plays into um, the weird magic of prayer because we think whatever you're going through, I don't really need to know. You just need to say this prayer and you will magically be a Christian person. And therefore God will be on your side and will do everything you ask of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then we use that to help put up these barriers between us and these other people. I don't actually have to engage with the youth uh, to figure out what's going on in their lives and what I can do to get involved and help because as long as I get them to give their life over to Christ, Christ will take care of it all. Right. Cause then they'll know to pray and then they'll pray and then God will take care of it. Right. Yeah. Um, So I know it seems like we went really off topic, but it really does all connect to the issues we have uh, with prayer in our particular culture. Yeah. Cause prayer, like prayer being such a foundational piece of Christianity and about your Christian faith yeah, it's going to connect to all these other things and how we've done things. So reevaluating how we're praying and why we're praying is going to adjust a lot of things the way we've done things. So Nick, uh, like I would say, my the lesson I was mainly taught of, of how to pray and why to pray, I've completely, I've adjusted that as I've grown. It sounds like you've done the same and you're still doing that. Like, listeners if you're struggling with prayer that's part of prayer like like that's part that's part about being in a relationship with the divine is is struggling through how to how to yell at god how to cry to god how to be thankful for god and for all the things that he's done but being authentic about it and how does that then relate to the rest of our lives yeah, if you're a relatively new Christian or just a Christian that never really took your faith seriously before and you're exploring prayer for the first time and you try it and you walk away from that feeling really stupid and weird, let me just tell you, I completely get it because it was the hardest part of converting to Christianity for me was getting comfortable with any form or version of prayer speaking out loud or even in my head to some invisible God that I suddenly believed was real. And I was still working on what that meant to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then talking to that being not growing up, being taught to prayer at these regular meals and things like that. It feels bizarre. And if you feel bizarre, I just want to say you're completely normal. Uh, And it does get a little bit easier. It does get a little bit better. It helps if you find people um, who you are comfortable being vulnerable with to be in Christian community that you can talk about these issues with and say, I don't really know how to pray. And they'll be like, oh, well, let's talk about prayer. Or maybe you listen to a podcast like this that, well, 
today we probably did more pro created more problems for you and <laughs> but um you know talking these things out can go a really long way and it's like anything else too it's practice 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 find what ways of praying work for you to help connect you uh to god help you connect to other people because uh it really has to come back to those two things i preach this an awful lot but when Jesus said the, the two most important commandments are love God and love your neighbor, he meant it. And that should be reflected in the fruit of your prayer as well. If your praying isn't making you feel more connected to God and loving God and isn't making you feel more connected to your neighbor, and that is to say everybody, um, then ultimately what you're doing is silly, meaningless, meaningless paganism. Hmm. Uh, and I would abandon it. I would abandon it completely and try something different um, to, to connect in that way. And yes, sometimes shaking your fist at the sky and screaming at God is actually the best way to feel closer to God and find yourself loving God more. Uh, that's what it took for me. So uh, don't rule that out. <laughs> God can handle your fish shakes. My fish aches? Your, 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 your fist shakes. I'm pretty sure you said fish aches. Or your fish aches. Whatever. God can handle all of your aching fish. Yeah. That's the name of the episode. Aching fish. I love it. All right. So, Nick, you're often on What the Hell is a Pastor. If you want, what is your uh, Twitter handle or Instagram handle if you'd like to share? Well, I am a terrible, terrible millennial and not really on those platforms. I am on Facebook. If you want to find me, it's Nicholas McMichael. I'm a pastor. You'll know me by my gauges in my ears. But yeah, you can find me on Facebook. Or if you know me, which chances are a lot of you are who are coming onto this are going to know me and Jory from olden days. We might be connected already. I'm always here if you need anything. If you want to send me a Facebook message, if you're struggling with stuff, I'm here. If you want to talk about prayer more, I'm around. I'm into it. Um, I love talking as you can hear, cause I can't stop doing it. Uh, so just reach out. That's what I'm here for. All right. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening. If you have a lesson you would like discussed, feel free to tweet at CXC pod. That's CXC pod. 